0: Good to be in God's house with you today. Amen. Amen. Well, as as you get your Bibles out and the ushers continue to serve those of you in the back of the sanctuary, uh, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. I just realized I did it to you again, Lauren. She had this nice little video package to play before the message in both services. I was too excited to preach. I just jumped up here and started talking before she could play it, but... I want you to go to the book of Malachi with me, and as you're turning there, let me just make mention uh, that this Wednesday and Thursday night, we're not going to have programs happening here at the church. Obviously, you know it's Thanksgiving week. We want to encourage you to be uh, just enjoying that time with your family and friends, and so there's no Wednesday night prayer gathering this week. Uh, Thursday night, we're not going to have Royal Rangers or our youth ministry happening, uh, as you as you turn there to Malachi, I'll just mention one more thing before we jump right into it, and that is the, the business meeting that you saw announced for the 28th. So excited to get to present to you an opportunity that, that has uh, come available to us right here in our community. Uh, I, I know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that want more details about that. Uh, it's in the season of Christmas, uh, spirit of Christmas, we're just going to say, wait. He's got to wait. Uh, so on November 28th, for all of our members, we want you to be a part of that meeting, Last week, we started this series in the book of Malachi, kind of an expository two-week sermon series, And, and maybe you would wonder today, what does the words of a prophet that spoke 2,600 years ago have to do with me, especially considering he wasn't writing to our culture, our context. He was writing to the people of Israel on on the other side of the world. What does that have to do with me? But as you hold your Bible in your hand today, can I remind you that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Can I remind you today that the psalmist said, thy word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. And if we'll open up our hearts today, I believe God will direct and order our steps in his word. Because the Bible is God's self-disclosing revelation of himself to mankind. That's what this book is all about. God loved you enough. He loved me enough to let us know him. And primarily the way we know him is through his word and through the person of his son. Colossians said Jesus is the exact representation of God in bodily form. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And if you can't see Jesus, John 1 said Jesus is the word. Look at the word. Amen? Amen. That wasn't in the notes. That was a freebie. You guys can have that sermon. I was just getting warmed up to open my Bible. Are you in Malachi yet? All right. Malachi, last week we started this little series, and in in the book of Malachi, it it, it it kind of plays out like a courtroom. In the book of Malachi, it's only 55 verses long, and there's 23 questions in the book. And so it's this back and forth, a statement is made, a question is asked, and then then God responds and he clarifies. And and he goes back and forth and back and forth with the people of God. And and the first question comes up in the second verse of the first chapter, and I want to look at that as we just kind of pick up where we left off last week. It says in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but Israel did. They weren't feeling loved. And so what God does is he reminds them of their history. He takes them all the way back to their father Abraham and his son Isaac and his two sons Jacob and Esau. And then he reminds them of what's happening around them in other nations, in the neighboring countries. And then he starts speaking prophetically about their future. And so the first thing that we see in the book of Malachi is God saying in our past, in our present, and in our future, I love you. I love you. And, And then the second question that that they ask, that that causes God to bring a charge against them, is that God says, you've shown contempt for my name. And they said, how have we shown contempt for your name? And so God begins to communicate a second principle. Not only does God love you, but God deserves your best. And God began to show them what they were doing that that was... bringing contempt against his name. They were coming to the table of the Lord and the table was where they made the sacrifices, where they would sacrifice the offering and and the blood of the sacrifice atoned the sins of the people. So if you don't have atonement because God is holy and you're not, you can't come to God. It's the same for us in the New Testament with the blood of Jesus. It was the same for them in the Old Covenant with the blood of the lamb. And so instead of bringing what God required, a spotless lamb, a, a... a lamb without blemish, a firstborn lamb. They were going into the stalls and they were just picking up any old sheep. You know, if if, the, if one of them's crippled, you know why why keep him around? Let's just give him to God. If one of them's got a disease, if one of them's hairs falling out, if one of them's blind, we'll just put that one on the altar. He's dead anyway. It doesn't matter. And God says, "Oh, it matters." Essentially, God says to them twenty six hundred years earlier what. Paul the apostle would come along and say in the book of Colossians, he said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto human masters. God deserves your best. And then a little bit farther, God communicates one more truth to him. And that final truth that we talked about last week is that his word is true. His word is true. And in chapter 2 and verse 5, God tells them, my covenant is a covenant of life and peace. That's what I came to bring, life and peace, and you priests are supposed to be the ones reminding the people of that so that they can have knowledge of my covenant, but you've done the opposite. You've started telling people uh, what they wanted to hear. You've started telling people what maybe was easier to say or or what you were feeling, and and how many times have we seen that play out in our generation where people come to the sacred desk, and instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, they want to talk about what's trending on Twitter. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting. I can tell already. And God looks at that and says, "That's that's not what this is for. Can I remind you, church, we didn't build this platform to elevate a man. We elevate the word of God in this house. We elevate the authority of God's word. And he said, your responsibility is to tell people the truth. Not tell them what's popular, not tell them what they want to hear. Tell them the truth. And because you haven't done that, He tells the priest in verse 9 of Malachi 2, he says, I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've turned them away from the truth and you've caused them to stumble. He says, because you have not followed my ways, but you've shown partiality in matters of the law, So can I just say again, it doesn't matter if it's a nation that's only 100 years old, as Israel was at that time, being rebuilt after the exile. Or if it's a nation that's 205 years old, like the United States of America, the truth of God must prevail. God's word is true. Let every man be a liar. God's word is true. So we're going to pick it up today in Malachi chapter 2. and And there's several things throughout the rest of this little four-chapter minor prophet that... That God reveals about himself, because that's what the word does. God reveals himself. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write these down. The first one is this. It's God's reward. God's reward. And can I just say, God is not looking down on our worship this morning and and, and handing out rewards for the loudest singer or the best singer. He's not handing out rewards for the person that put the most in the offering plate. Or the person that donated the most toys to Project Toy Box or, or brought the most coats for the homeless. He, he appreciates all that and all those things done from a heart, they matter to God. But ultimately, God's looking deeper than all those things. Those are all just the external responses. God's looking at the inward motivation. And when it comes to God's reward, he makes very clear in his word, here's what God rewards. He rewards faithfulness. Faithfulness. One day you and I are going to stand before God alone and when you stand before God you want to hear him say well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful with a few things now I'll make you ruler over many things God rewards faithfulness and and in verse 10 through 16 of chapter 2 God says you've been unfaithful five times five times in those six verses. Now, if you're studying your Bible and you're trying to make sense of the word, let me give you a little hack. If you see the same word five times in six verses, God's trying to tell you something, okay? Just go ahead and underline it. He's trying to drive home a point. Look at one of the verses with me, Uh, verse 11 of Malachi 2. God says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. Wow, that's a big deal. How'd they do that? He said, by marrying women who worship a foreign god. See, because God's word is true, God created parameters for the covenant. And God was very clear with Israel that a part of that covenant in Deuteronomy is that you do not intermarry with people who worship foreign gods. Now listen, this is not about race. It's about worship. I'm going to show it to you in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons and do not take their daughters for your sons. Why? For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you not about race, it's about worship. God says if, if, you, if you give yourself in covenant to people who serve foreign gods, it's going to turn you away from God. It's always easier to pull someone down than it is to pick someone up. That's why the apostle Paul, he piggybacked off this same thought in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, not even talking to a strictly Jewish audience. He was talking to Gentile believers in 2 Corinthians 6 when he said, do not be unequally yoked, with unbelievers. For, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can there be between light and darkness? It's not about race. It's about worship. And so through Malachi, God is saying, you have, you have been unfaithful to me. And then look at the next verse, verse 14, 13 and 14 of Malachi. This is maybe the most stunning like, picture in all of chapter 2. God says in verse 13, another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You keep, or you weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Imagine this. People are literally coming into church. They're coming to the altar. They're crying. They're calling out to God. And God's not listening. Why? Well, that's the question they ask in verse 14. Why, you ask? It's because the Lord... Is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So, this is the problem in Israel. These men were being unfaithful to the wives of their youth. And not only were they unfaithful to their wife, they were leaving their now older wife and going and getting younger, maybe more attractive foreign wives, and they were marrying them. And God says, you, you, you've done two evils here. You've, you've come into covenant with people that don't worship God, and you've forsaken the wife of your youth. You've, he said in verse 11, you've desecrated the sanctuary of God. And so now, these men show up to church on Sunday, and they come to the altar, and you know, they give, and they make their sacrifice, and they, they pay their offering, and they, they cry, and they weep, and God says, I'm, I'm not having it. They come to the altar to meet with God, and essentially God tells them, go back home. Wouldn't it be great if like the life that we lived Monday through Saturday had no bearing on our worship to God on Sunday? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just you know, put on our Sunday best and our, and, and our spiritual facade, and, and God was none the wiser? Can I tell you, God's reward is for faithful. And I don't mean deeds and religious expressions. I mean God is looking at the heart. And when he sees a heart that is far from him and a heart that lives in, in disobedience, God is not at all impressed with the tears. He's not impressed with the offerings that are placed on the altar. God's heart is not moved by lame and diseased sacrifices and giving God our second best. He says, I am generous and I reward, but I reward the faithful. In fact, in, in chapter 1, verse 10, God's, God says it so strongly I love the way he says this. He says, oh, that one of you would just shut the doors of the temple so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. In other words, the worship that you're giving me, it's useless. It has no, it has no bearing. It has no effect. If you're going to come and just do the show, if you're just going to come and go through the motions, just shut the doors. Just don't, just don't even worship any longer. And then God speaks In chapter 2 and verse 16, specifically to what his perspective of their unfaithfulness looks like. Look at at verse 16 in chapter 2. He says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Now, I, I will admit, this specific verse has been troublesome to translate. Uh, In fact, if you have a different translation of the Bible, you might be double-checking to make sure you're at the right spot because in your Bible, it might look different. In other translations, it says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Both have have essentially the same meaning, but that's a strong statement to say that God hates divorce divorce and what we need to understand when we say that because it is true but what we need to understand is that when God says he hates divorce he doesn't just hate the end result God hates everything that leads to divorce God hates when we when we put our own desires above our spouse God hates when we don't honor one another God hates when there's not submission in a relationship God hates when we don't sacrifice for the good of our spouse all the th- it's it's not the paperwork that God hates It's not the finality of it. If God hates divorce, then God is saying, I hate everything that leads not to broken covenants, but to breaking covenants. It's the process that God sees playing out, and it comes with a warning. Do not be unfaithful. And then in verse 17, Malachi gives us really the the whole motivation for why he's writing. God says, this is the reason I prompted this this man to come out of obscurity and write these words and give them to my people. Look at verse 17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. That's the bottom line. Like God's, He's just grown weary. He's heard it so many times that he says, you've wearied me with your words. And then he tells us specifically, here's the words. How have you wearied me, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he is pleased with them. Or you're saying, where is the God of justice? Two responses to the nature of God. And don't we have both those responses today? Right. You, you got people that say, God, God just loves everyone. Your, your evil doesn't matter because God is a God of love. And that's what they were saying. They were saying, hey, in God's eyes... He's pleased with us. And I've had the conversations with people that say, well, if if God is love, then then how can you be against this person? How can you be against that person? How can you be against this choice or this lifestyle? Because God loves everybody. And if God's pleased with everybody, then evil is the new good. And God said, you weary me. You weary me. He says, here's what else wearies me got people over here saying, where's the God of justice? Like when, when bad things happen, where's the God of justice? When, when atrocities happen, where's the God of justice? And so here's the, here's the tension. Here's the reality. We look at the things that we do. That we want to get a pass from God on. And we say, God's pleased with me because God's a God of love. He loves everything. He loves everybody. We affirm you. We celebrate you. Just God loves you, so let's all just love God back. And then you see something that bothers you. You know, some genocide in a third world country. And then you start, where's the God of justice? You know, we can, we can celebrate the thing that we want to pass on, and then we can... Be intolerant of the things that frustrate us. And God says, you weary me. Because you don't understand that I am a God of grace. And I am a God of mercy. And I am a God of justice. But when I come and I bring justice, I don't don't bring it selectively. I bring justice for everybody. Like I'm not just coming to be just for the things that you want justice for. I'm coming to be just for everything. And so one day he's going to come and he's going to bring justice. And God says, my reward is for faithfulness. But then he says, my wrath is for sin. Number two, God tells us about his wrath. Look at verse one and two of chapter three. He begins to turn a corner. They're asking the question, where is God? Where is God? And he says in verse one, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And we know that was John the Baptist. Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 3 tells us John was the forerunner of Jesus. And then after the forerunner comes, he says, then suddenly, can we all say suddenly, suddenly? Suddenly, the Lord, you are seeking, will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant. That's one of the names of Jesus. His primary message was, I'm bringing a new covenant. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But then he has a question of his own. Verse 2, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like the launderer's soap. It's It's kind of like the Israelites when When Moses was told by God that the 10th plague is going to be a death angel. He's going to come and he's going to take the firstborn of every household. And God came and he did that and he gave specific instructions to Moses. He said, I want every family to sacrifice a lamb and I want you to take blood from the lamb and I want you to smear it on the doorpost of your house. So when the death angel comes... To take the firstborn of each home, if he sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over that house and he'll bring judgment on the next. See, we like to read that story as if God came to wipe out the firstborn sons of the evil Egyptians and to save the firstborn sons of the holy Israelites. But that's not the story. The story is judgment came for everybody's house. And the only people who were safe were the ones who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house. And so God's saying, I'm coming to bring justice for everybody. Not just for the people that bother you. So the question is, can you stand on the day that he comes? Because he will come, and he's coming suddenly. And he says, you have two options. You have two options. You can either be purified or you can be judged. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 3 of Malachi 3 says, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and he'll refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in the days gone by. As in the former years. Can I tell you the good news today, church? Jesus has come to purify his bride. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, he'll forgive you of your sins, and he will purify you from all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus came to do, to make our offering acceptable. That's why to the church in Romans 12, Paul said, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Because of what Jesus does to purify our life, he makes our offering acceptable to God. Now, now if you don't like that option, there's another option. He said you can be purified or you can be judged. Look at the next verse. Verse 5 says, so I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. He says the choice is yours. You can be purified today or you can be judged in that day. So God reveals his reward for the faithful, his wrath for the wicked He reminds us now of his record. Thirdly, his record. See, we have this weird way of looking at the Bible sometimes that the God of the old covenant, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. A God that is that is mean, that's just throwing lightning bolts down at the earth, opening up the the earth and swallowing nations, and and nobody wants the God, the old covenant. We don't want Old Testament God. You ever heard somebody say that before? I don't want Old Testament God. We want New Testament God. You know, New Testament God loves the little children, carries the lamb. We want we want you know humble king, meek and lowly. We want New Testament God, but God actually weighs in on that mentality of an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. And he tells the people right here in verse six, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. There is no such thing as an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He said, I don't change. And then he says to them, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I I love that. In other words, God's saying the only reason you're living and breathing today is because I'm still a God of grace and mercy. Because the the Old Testament God is still gracious. He said, you wouldn't even be here today. The same way in chapter 1, God said, I loved you in the past. I love you in the present. I'm going to love you in the future. Now in chapter 3, he says, I was gracious in your past. I was merciful in your present. I'll be merciful in your future. There's only one reason. You're still breathing this morning. It's because God doesn't change. He says in verse seven, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. You know, we like to think in our generation, we have a corner on the market of sin. You know, like, like we keep inventing new ways to sin. He said, y'all, y'all have been the same. You've been the same. You never changed. You never kept my decrees. But then God says something. And if there's a moment in your, in your, Bible study that you ought to pull out a highlighter and and highlight something or underline something, this next statement is the statement because this is the heart of God. You want to know what the Old Testament God is like? He's like the New Testament God. He doesn't change. He says to the people right here in verse seven, return to me and I will return to you. He goes on record. He says, this is the heart of God. This has always been the heart of God. Return to me. From the moment Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, he went to them and he he sacrificed an animal and he made clothes for them. Blood was shed so that they could stand in God's presence without shame on that day. And blood still flows today so that you can stand in God's presence without shame. Return to me, return to me has always been the heart of God. And he's still calling today. He's still saying it right now to anyone whose heart might be drifting away. Say, look, return to me. Yes, I'm going to do all these things, but trust me, my heart is to purify you, not to judge you. So God goes on record, and he says, return to me, and I'll return to you. But look at the next part of that verse. But you ask, and they ask the question, how are we to return? Now, i got to say, I love that question. I wish more people would ask me that question. How do I return to God, Pastor. How do I return? And so now God's going to give us the fourth thing. This is God's requirement. Look at verse 8. Malachi 3, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yeah, you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In the tithes and offering. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Wait a minute. They ask, how do we return to you? And, and, and God says, you didn't get, pay your tithes? Is this all about money? Is that where we're going? Ushers, get ready. Is that, was that what's happening right now? Don't grab your car keys yet. Stay with me. God's not saying the way to return to me is to put more money in the plate. What God's saying is that the way you handle your money and your resources and the way that you obey my commands is a direct revelation of what's in your heart. Can I just tell you today, God's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. That's what God wants. But to the measure that you open up your wallet to give reveals how you open up your heart to God. And God says, I I know your heart's not with me. I know you're not devoted to me because you're not obeying my commands. You're not walking in obedience to my word. And so the lack of obedience in bringing the tithe and the offering revealed their commitment to God. So basically, God is saying, put your money where your mouth is. Or in the King James Version, he would say, put ye thine money where's thine mouth be. (laughs) Like, just, thus saith the Lord. That's what he's saying. I'm not moved. I'm not moved if your heart's not moved. I I didn't come and lay down the life of my son for an hour of your weekend. Jesus did not shed his blood for 10% of your money. He came for your whole heart. And he says, you haven't returned to me. And the fact that you're not faithful to the kingdom and to sowing back into what? I've called you to do and who I've called you to be, it reveals the condition of your heart. And then in the next few verses, 13, 14, and 15, God continues to listen to their complaints. But I want to go right to verse 16 because, thankfully, complaints aren't the only thing that God hears. And in verse 16, the whole book kind of takes a different tone. And it's almost like we, we get to observe something that's happening behind the scenes, Number five, God's remnant. Look at verse 16. It says, here's what happened. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Can I tell you that God is listening and he hears today? Like With all this going on, all the, the stuff that Malachi is saying and, and the, the back and forth with people that are complaining and trying to justify their half hardness before God, while all that's happening, God says, but I have a remnant, people. Can I tell you God's listening and watching this worship service this morning? He he hears your worship. He hears you singing. He sees the one that's hearing this message and looking at somebody else going, I hope they're paying attention. And he sees the heart of the person that says, Oh, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. God looks and he listens today to the worship that's happening right now. He sees. And he hears his remnant people, and he says right now, he's writing in a scroll of remembrance about you on Sunday morning. He's writing in a scroll of remembrance about this moment in our worship, and then he says in verse 17, on the day when I act, and rest assured, he will act. The Lord Almighty says, "There will be, they will be my treasured possession. Talking about his remnant people. I'll spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. I know it gets a little bit convoluted down here in 2021. I know sometimes we can't tell the difference between safe folks uh, and, and just, you know, political activists. We can't tell the difference. You know, Christian means everything, and it means nothing in our society. But Jesus says the day is coming. The day is coming when the line will be really clear. The distinction will be drawn out, and you'll know the righteous from the wicked. And you have the option today to be purified by the Lord and to become his remnant people. But if you want to walk the line, if you just want to do the American Christianese dance and not come with a whole heart to God, that's okay. You can go with plan B. Judgment's going to come and the distinction will be made. So he says, return to me. Return to me now before I return to you. Return to me. And then we move to the last chapter. And it begins to describe what that day is gonna be like. In Malachi chapter four, he says, the wicked are gonna be like stubble in the fire. They're just, they're just gonna be consumed. Just, they won't, they, they won't last a minute when he comes to judge the earth. Then he says in verse two of Malachi four, I love this verse. One of my favorite verses in the whole book. But you who revere my name, my remnant people, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. What a powerful picture. No matter how dark it feels, no matter how long you feel like you've been waiting in the long, dark night of the soul, the sun will dawn, and the true sun of righteousness will rise, and there will be healing that emanates from his presence there is healing in his rays. When we see him, there's no more weeping. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. Why? When we behold him face to face, there's healing in his rays. And he says, and you will go out and frolic like a well-fed calf. Now, Aubrey, you know what that's all about, right? She she runs a dairy farm, so I'm pretty sure that just means we'll be fat and happy in heaven. I'm not... I'm. <laughs> Amen to the marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) God has a remnant people. The last thing I'll share as the worship team comes is God's renewal. This is what he reveals to us from his word today. God's renewal. In the final words, not only the final words of Malachi, but in the final words of the Old Testament, what God does is he reiterates his word. He reiterates his promise. Look at verse 4. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws that I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, verse 5, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. That's John the Baptist saying he's coming. I will send him to you before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. So here's God's word for waiting people. He says, remember my word, remember my word, I sent my word and I will send my son, that's the word of the Lord for awaiting people because God's word, it does something, it exposes the human condition of the heart, maybe you felt that, even as I'm preaching this message, that the word of God it just, it just lays bare the issues of our life, if we'll let the word work It exposes the condition of our heart. Not not to just cut us down, but because the heart of God has always been and is today a heart that says, Return to me. The choice is yours. You can be purified or you can be judged. But you can't live this way and ask for my grace and my tolerance in my affirmation and acceptance of your sinful life and then call for my justice for other people's issues that grate against you. Because when I come to judge, I come to judge everyone. So, oh God, would you apply the launderer's soap that we would be, as Isaiah said, though my sins be as scarlet, you have washed me whiter than snow. God, would you come today with the refiner's fire? It may be uncomfortable. This moment might feel like a hot heat of conviction, but God, it pales in comparison to the eternal flames of destruction. And so God, today, would you turn up the heat of conviction right now on our hearts, on our lives? Would we not be like those self-righteous priests who came with half-hearted devotion, but God, may we be a people, a remnant, who you look down on and you hear and you listen and you remember this moment of sincerity. God, remember this moment of consecration as we give our whole selves back to you. God, write in your scroll a remembrance of our lives fully surrendered to you. If you're here today as we're praying, and, and you need to just give God your heart, give God your life, repent of your sin. I want to I want to quote that promise to you one more time. Let this be, let this be your confession. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sin and cleanse us purify us from all unrighteousness that's what he wants to do right now he's calling to you he's saying return to me return to me maybe for you the issue is not the way you've acted in God's house maybe the issue has been the way you've acted in your house and God's saying to you today don't come with a bunch of tears to the altar at the church build an altar in your home meet with me there if you're here today and God's dealing with you to just allow the spirit of the lord to begin to purify you would you just lift your hands toward him even right where you're sitting speaking to lift your hands to the lord and ask him to do it god i confess i confess sin i confess my failures god i i need you to purify me from all unrighteousness jesus I confess. I repent. And I give you my whole life. Wash me and make me clean. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me all over this room? I believe God's.